Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Friday, February 17th edition of the Basement Academy. A morning psalm, Psalm 47, tells us it's for the director of music. It is of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were the early worship leaders, the choir directors, as it were. And so Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Amen. Psalm 47 bids us to sing praises to God. And so I'm going to talk about this as we continue our reflection on this essential of the form of the reform tradition living in obedience to the word of god and so introduced yesterday the first of the 10 commandments try to cover two today hopefully um, we'll be able to get both of these and just go through uh, each of the 10 commandments as our essential tenants document lays them out um, the 10 commandments are given to guide us, to instruct us, right? Um, to show us a path that we're to, to walk on, that we may live this, this path of life. They, they also help to restrain us. They're like a fence, okay? They're a path, but they're also like a fence that helps to protect us. And so safety is found inside the fence. And so as we pay attention to these commandments, both posit the positive commandments as well as the prohibitions, we find safety. And then the third purpose of the Ten Commandments is to serve as a mirror. As we look at them, we examine ourselves. Now, too often I hear people talk about the Ten Commandments as kind of those tablets of stone to beat other people over the head with for their failure to live the right way. That is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments, <laughs> to beat people up. It is to examine ourselves. And so humility is at the core of if we're going to live in obedience to the word of God, we've got to examine ourselves, just examine ourselves. So let's examine the second commandment, which says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you hear that language of obedience? Those who love me and keep my commandments. God shows love to a thousand generations. And so what our essential tenants document does is it, it calls us in an examination of the second commandment to worship God in humility. So we gather for worship 
on Sunday mornings. That's the typical, not the only, but that's the typical expression of worship in the Christian community. We do so because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Okay, so it wasn't on the Sabbath. He rested on the Sabbath. He was in the grave on the Sabbath, right? And then he rose on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, okay? And so Christian worship uh, early on uh, became centered on the first day of the week or sometimes called the eighth day, right? Um, the new creation. And Christian worship is characterized very, by a, a very modest um, set of practices. Words that we say, we read scripture, we interpret scripture, we say prayers, and then there are ritual words that we speak over baptism and communion. I say the same words. Eric says the same words that have been said for a millennia <laughs> since the early church. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we, and so the Christian faith is a received faith. And so what our essential tenet document guides us is worship God in humility, being reticent, love that word, reticent, being reticent in either describing or picturing God, recognizing that right worship is best supported not by our own innovative practices, but through the living preaching of the word and the faithful administration of the sacraments. Be reticent to make worship up, to design worship experiences, to design new rituals for the people of God to gather. And so if you've been at Greenwich for any length of time, you know we have a very stable order of worship. There's slight variations typically based around if it's a communion Sunday, if we have baptism, or what the musical expression will be. But, but every Sunday, musical gathering, a prelude, a call to worship that is scripture, back and forth, a leader to people, an opening hymn that is strong, focusing on God as creator, God as savior, God as redeemer, the, the Trinity or Jesus Christ. Um, and then a, a prayer that we don't write ourselves. These are prayers that have stood the test of time out of our liturgical um, resources. Um, we stand and read the word of God. We interpret the word of God. We will sing again. The choir may sing or the bells may ring. We may have some other musical expression. We'll gather with the children to bless them. We see that as an appropriate expression. And in an hour or so, we're done. Um, and so this is a stable order of worship because the purpose of worship is not to excite our senses, not to please the people. It is to humbly gather our attention, gather us from many homes uh, around the community and to gather us as many into one body that we collectively would give our attention to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Creator, God the Covenant Maker, God the Savior. And to keep doing that and that alone. We will interpret the word into contemporary context, but you know I'm reticent to preach political sermons. I Every year you know, when elections bubble up, folks want me to advocate or stump for some particular issue. Um, I've, I've had, 
well, I, I won't even go into it. Um, I just had a lot of people ask me to preach a lot of things that are social issues and not that we shouldn't address social issues, but we address them through the framework of the word of God. If, if I, you know, the, the, the worst extreme of this would be every week you preach simply based on what the news of the day was. You know, there's an earthquake in Turkey and Syria, and so we preach where is a God in the midst of earthquakes. Um, you know, there's a shooting in, um, you know, Michigan State uh, happened, you know, but there sh seems to be shootings all the time. Let's speak to gun control and, and, and things like this. Um, there's issues of George Floyd being killed a couple of years ago. Let's speak about racism. Every week I could alter and speak to some social issue. And there are churches that do that. I do not believe that. I think, I think that's, I'm reticent to do that is what I'll say. I'm, I'm reticent to take the pulpit, which is not the pulpit of Don Meeks. It's not even the pulpit of Greenwich Presbyterian Church. It's the pulpit of Jesus Christ. That's a sacred table. That's a sacred desk. That's a sacred place where all who go there are authorized only to speak on behalf. Now, well, you could speak out of the word of God to each of those issues, granted. But I think I am speaking to those issues, okay? And so worship God in humility, being reticent to innovate practices, but rather through the living preaching of the word and the faithful administration of the sacraments. And so we are trying to point to Jesus Christ and the implications of the life of Jesus Christ. So I... I have spoken to these issues, but where I'm speaking to them mostly is here, right? <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the Roe v. Wade reversal, I said last summer, but listen to the Basement Academy for the next two weeks, and I'm going to address that. And so I'm going outside of the gathered worship service, and I'm now teaching, and this is a different part of uh, the, the, the ministry. This is not a worship service. What we're doing right now, you're watching or listening in your own home or in your car, and I'm in my basement. And so this is not gathered worship. We're not practicing the sacraments. This is instruction. This is pastoral instruction. And so we, we need to be reticent because when people start designing worship services, we start to move towards idolatry, which is what the second commandment is prohibiting, right? Of course, the, the, the example that, that, that stands up as the, the, the bad example, the extreme example of this would be the golden calf experience. As Moses is up on the mountain getting these very 10 commandments, right? And in, in, in engaging with God, well, he's there for a while, right? Was it 40 days? And the scripture says, we don't know what's happened to this Moses fellow. Make us a God <laughs> that we can worship. Aaron, the priest, okay, wants to please the people, a little, little nervous, maybe a little insecure. So he asks for their gold, right? Because remember, they had spoiled the Egyptians. You know, go to your Egyptian neighbors before they leave, you know, in the Passover and the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea, they go to their Egyptian neighbors and ask for silver and gold and fabric, etc., which God intends to, to be used for the construction of the tabernacle, the place for worship. And Aaron gathers it all up, throws it in the fire. And then when Moses comes back down, what is this going on? And Aaron says, it, it out came the calf. I, I don't know how it happened. Hogwash. You know exactly how it happened, uh, Aaron. <laughs> You gave in to the demands of the people who were impatient, 
because this is what we are as people. We're impatient. This Moses fellow was delayed. We don't know what's happened to him. Let's get on with it. Give us a God. And so be careful, be reticent. Worship is about humility. Everything in the worship service is intended to unself our lives. I sometimes hear from people, well, you know, we're not singing songs I know or understand. Okay, well, let's learn it then, right? And, you know, if we took a Venn diagram and, if, well, you know, we'll have, you know, what, 150, 200 people in, in one of our worship services, you know, three or 400 on a Sunday morning. If you took a Venn diagram and, uh, you know, ev- a song that every person in the room knew, uh, we'd probably come down to Amazing Grace, Jesus Loves Me, and the doxology, right? <laughs> And some people maybe don't even know those songs. So, of course, we're going to hear songs we don't know. In humility, learn the song. Uh, Eric and I, we try to choose songs that are very easy to sing. If If it's a tough melody, we'll find an alternative tune that is more familiar. The point isn't the music or the melody. The point is an opportunity for us to express our praise to God, sing praises to God sing praises. So worship humbles us. I don't get to, well, I, I choose the songs or Eric chooses the songs, but, but for, uh, for those who are gathering in worship, you don't get to choose the song. You're not in control. You're saying the prayer that somebody else chose. You're listening to the text that somebody else chose. You're sitting there for 25 minutes while somebody like me, you know, me talks on. And that has an unselfing, de-selfing, humbling quality We go through the same words, the same actions, and that keeps us grounded in a reality that we're not in charge of this universe. And so worship is to honor God, and it's to, uh, Psalm 47, he sits on the throne, we don't. And so this is the problem. Worship unselfs us, it de-seats us, it dethrones self, and we enthrone God afresh. We, we, we worship him afresh. So, uh, so much more I could go on. Let, just, uh, just one word about um, musical style. Um, d- don't fight over instrumentation and worship. Otherwise, you should, we should be singing to trumpets and stringed instruments, right? Because this is what scripture tells us. You know, here it's, you know, blow the trumpets as we sing our praises. And, and thankfully, Greenwich is free from those controversies. We do play the organ. We do play the piano. I play the guitar. Others, uh, other instruments, you know, flute and, and drums of some sort are, are often in there. Let us focus our praise on God. Let us not make an idol. Let us not um, be, make a sacred cow, as it were, out of some form or expression of worship. So anyway, going a little long about that. Uh, let me let me pick up on this. The second um, place for examination, eliminate, this is the, the third commandment. Uh, let me read the commandment first. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Uh, as re- I'm reading out of Deuteronomy in Exodus, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? So don't, don't, use God's names in a vain or empty way. And so the place for examination, eliminate from both speech and thought any blasphemy, irreverence, or impurity. Big words. Blasphemy, eliminate blasphemy, irreverence, or impurity from speech and thought. Wow. 
Um, for some of us, this may be easy to do, but for others, it may be very difficult. Um, you know, blasphemy is that um, expression when we misrepresent God. We, we speak of God in ways that are not true. And so Jesus was charged with blasphemy when he was making himself out to be God. God is one. You cannot be God. God is one. And so, and so it was blas- the charge of, bl- he wasn't blaspheming, of course, because he was true. It's, this is the incarnation, this doctrine of the incarnation. And so let us not misrepresent God. Let us not invoke God's name in casual, empty ways. Let's not uh, use coarse joking or humor um, uh, around God. Um, let us not invoke God's name in, in ways that implies that God is here to serve us and our means and our ends and our purposes. We are here. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God is not a means to the end of what I want to happen. I do. I've observed over the many years, people sometimes invoke God's name somewhat superstitiously be it a big game coming up, um, you know, um, I, I do, I, I believe it's appropriate to pray, you know, for safety. Don't, don't pray for a win, but it's appropriate to pray for safety and, and fair and good competition and respect for the rules, et cetera, et cetera. But particularly safety. I have a son who played, you know, football all the way through college. So we were concerned about that. But we ought not invoke God's name in ways that serve our purposes. And so the point I want to make here would be around politics. Okay, I talked just a few moments ago about people wanting me to preach a particular issue. What they're not aware of is that there may be somebody else on the other side of that issue. And they can't imagine how a Christian could possibly hold to another view than the view that they hold because... After all, I'm right, right? This is what the sin does to us, right? We always think we're right. And so when we get to the, the politicizing of the pulpit, the politicizing of the name of God, invoking God's name for a political platform or party or ticket, uh, so, so as if God only cares about our view, our team, our uh, plans, and our party. Um. God is not a means. So this is idolatry. So now we're back to violating the second commandment. God is not a means to the end. See, this is what idolatry is. You go worship the statue for a good harvest. So I go to worship so that I can get a good crop so that I can feed my family and make some money and go on vacation, right? God is not a means. God is the end of our lives. He is the chief end. He is the one we, we worship and adore. Um. I, I wrestle with, uh, so, so where it speaks here also about irreverence and impurity, so obviously profanity and the like, um, you know, uh, we don't, you know, when people, you know, say Jesus Christ, you know, as, as a, like a swear word, that we ought not do that. Christians ought not do it. Oh my God, we ought not do that. Because we're using God's name as some, you know, exclamation of surprise or incredulity or exasperation. No. When we invoke the name of Jesus, when we invoke the name of God, let it be as if he were in the room speaking. It's, it's, it's a form of personal address, right? 
When we invoke Jesus' name, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. When we invoke the name of God, Father, we come to you in your name, um, etc. So, so it's, it's this notion like that. So, so let us be attentive to that. Where, where I struggle with this uh, is in these areas of um, kind of the, the ongoing debate around social justice, uh, the, the, the conversation that's, that's going on in our society and that we're engaging a little bit uh, at Greenwich. Our survey is kind of pointing us in that direction where some of the tension is. I believe it borders on blasphemy, irreverence, and impurity when we speak of other Christians. So somebody holds a different view than I do. Another Christian who thinks differently than I do on an issue of the day, racism, human sexuality, marriage, um, sanctity of life, you know, some of these key important issues. We ought not speak ill of other Christians. We may disagree with them, but we do not denounce them. We do not demonize them. Um, we do not ridicule them. We acknowledge first and foremost that we are one in Christ, that we are sisters and brothers joined together uh, in a faith that transcends race and class and gender. In Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So we have a faith that transcends these outward differences, but we have a faith that acknowledges there are outward differences. And so, so I do believe we, um, we would, at least as I'm exploring this, eliminate from your speech and thought um, blasphemy, irreverence, or impurity. I believe it would call for us to eliminate from our speech language about other Christian believers that treats them as if they are enemies or if they are somehow not part of the family. To acknowledge there's a disagreement is not to de demonize them. It's to say, I know we differ on this. And, and thanks be to God that we're grounded in a faith deeper than our differences. Let's think together about these differences and honor one another as we uh, share this together. So this discipleship amid disagreement that we focused on last fall. So I think this, how to have this conversation about um, realignment, how to have this conversation about social justice issues brings us right here to this place. Let us not misuse God's name. Let us not speak ill and harmful language um, of someone who bears the name of Jesus Christ, who has been baptized as you and I have been baptized, who eats at the same table and takes the same bread and lifts the same cup as one in Christ. Let us not speak ill or think ill. So it's speech and thought. So let us seek to eliminate. Friends, that one's going to be hard. So anyway, um, to the, the second and third commandments, as opportunities for self-examination. Um, <clears throat> let us go into worship this Sunday humbly, and let us go into worship this Sunday bearing on our lips, in our hearts, in our minds, um, the, the good news of the gospel, thoughts <clears throat> and words that honor one another, uh, and in honoring one another, also bring honor uh, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? Let's pray. 
And so, Father, thank you for this document that encourages us to examine ourselves. But thank you for these Ten Commandments that we hold up as a mirror. Lord, we fall so short in our worship, in our speech. We have failed uh, to obey uh, your commandments. And so we pray a spirit of repentance fall upon each of us. Lead us in the path of humility and truth and grace, the path of restoration through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God draw you to himself. May he refresh and renew you through the power of his Holy Spirit and the living word of God, even Jesus Christ. May he do it this day and forevermore. Amen.